0: Welcome to the Weekly Exchange.
3: This week in Forex and Strategy Game News, we have updates on Stellar Monarch, Stellaris, Star Control Origins, and much, much more.
1: Troy welcome to the show thanks Nate it's good to be here how are you doing I'm doing good I'm doing good so today we're going to have two guests on the show we're going to have Joshua and Mark and they're going to pitch into a discussion it was a very light news week but there was one item that was very important so we're gonna all kind of do a little impromptu roundtable on it so welcome to the show Joshua oh god he's back no, I you yeah.
0: this time. How are okay. you, Nate? How are Deal. you, Troy? I'm, Thanks for I'm, having me.
1: Good, good. And uh, Mark, welcome to the show as well. Thanks, bud. Good to be here. Okay, so before we start, a quick little uh, heads up. Um, By the time you hear this, our strategic expanse where we covered the part two of the warfare. So the, we did one like a year ago, and... This is part two. The Strategic Warfare was a great roundtable. It was, it was of, awesome. It was a lot of fun. Yep. So you guys are going to get to hear it. That's going to be already up. So give that a look or listen. And second thing, this is the last show of the fourth year of the Wax. So the Weekly Exchange has now been recorded and posted Every single week for the last four years, so that puts it at 200, and this is the 208th show. So the next show here is going to be the first show of the fifth year. Now a lot of places out there, uh be it podcasts or you know TV shows or whatever they call things, or YouTube, you know on YouTube when they're doing a season of something. So usually it's like 10 or 15 or 20 episodes. Our seasons are 52 episodes long. So the fifth season, I guess, is about to begin. So, you know, thank you so much for sticking it out with us through all the various changes and whatnot. And hopefully the last show of the fourth season is a good one because the next one is coming a week later. So with that, let's go ahead and why don't you tell us about Stellar Monarch, Troy?
3: Alright, well, Stellar Monarch got a very small update this past week. Most of it has to do with the interface, so uh, the icons got a refresh, and um, the scroller also got a tweak. In addition, um, I think we reported a few months ago that the developer added new name sets to the game um, for based on i get I guess regions of earth really and another new set of names is being loaded into the eastern ethnic group and these will be czech sounding names so uh you know used to be all the names are pretty much uh, anglo and now there's a, a bunch of different ethnic sets and czech names are being that's not like you write a check or a check mark that's like the czech republic i guess i should have been more clear but yeah uh the czech Republic, Slavic-sounding names are being added to the game, which is really cool.
1: Okay, and that's it? That's it from Stellar Monarch this week. And still, the the developer keeps adding bits and pieces here, so that's really cool and good for him. And as long as he keeps updating the game and letting us know about it, we'll keep talking about it. So, all right. Well, Joshua, why don't you go ahead... Oh, oh no, no. I see Mark's back back in the mix. Mark, why don't you go ahead and uh, launch us with uh, the Stellaris update called Megacorp, and we'll go from there.
2: All right. Okay. So here we go. Finally, we got uh, the DLC announcement uh, for the last, geez, it's almost, I, I bet you close to six. No, it's got to be closer to eight weeks, more than two months, I would say. Every dev diary we've seen. From Paradox on the new Stellaris 2.2 patch has been everything has been free, right? So, of course, all of the changes to how planets are structured, the new districts, and all the different changes there. But we still haven't uh, figured out right up until this week what would be included in the DLC. So, we know that uh, the DLC is now called Stellaris Megacorp. And it introduces a new authority, which is corporations, which um, I think is going to be awesome because it kind of focuses on a different and interesting way to play the game. Um, I'm a little shocked by this at first because typically what Paradox has done with their Stellaris authorities is if you choose to play, let's say, a machine hive or a hive mind or a machine race, you're kind of locked into a specific ethic. But what they've done with corporations is you can choose anything from the the ethics wheel outside of a hive mind, obviously, because it would make no sense, and then choose the authority, which is kind of like an, a government of mega corporations, which unlocks all of these different civics that you can choose, which really customizes the kind of corporate or corporation that you want to play as, which I think is awesome. And we can kind of dig a little bit deeper into some of the civics um, a little bit later as they're... You know kind of fleshed out because even as it stands right now with the announcement, we know that we're going to be getting in the DLC um, the new corporate authority, which is awesome. And they've touched on it in the most recent Dev Diary 131. But there are several things that um, they've announced that they haven't fleshed out in the Dev Diaries yet, which includes uh, the new city world, um, the Necro or Ecmopolitan. I don't know, it's a city world. I can't say this word, Josh. Can you, can you, do you know what the the proper pronunciation of the city world is
0: you know i, I really don't let me, let me let me see if i can do this let's I, it's ter- it's terrible man yeah they, they gave me a word that i'm not gonna be able to say you can probably hear me clicking my mouse as i'm scrolling down so i can find the word and try to say it but i don't think i'm gonna be able to keep going i'll, I'll keep tap dancing i'll find the word and try
2: to okay it. <laughs> so we got a city world it doesn't matter how do you pronounce it uh we've also got the Caveneer fleets, which is very similar to the curators that you got with the Leviathan DLC pack. And they are basically like a nomadic interstellar wheeler and dealers. They will have a fleet that will go around to everybody's borders, if assuming that they're open to you, and they will offer specific trade deals. Also, they have like a like a, a space station that's similar to like Vegas, where you can use energy credits to Pull on some slots to see if you win anything. You can trade specific type of amenities and luxuries. And additionally, they they introduced quote-unquote loot boxes where you buy these Cavanier coins, I believe. And then you can use the coins to buy a loot box. And in it is a random item. They haven't detailed exactly what's in it. It could be anything from, I'm guessing, energy credits, minerals, as far as I know. And they've also, it could also be nothing. But, of course, you do get that sense of pride and accomplishment by opening the loot boxes, which I thought was a hilarious little wink to EA and their debauchery when it comes to the new uh, Star Wars game that they released earlier this year. Um, the word
0: is ecumenopolis.
2: Oh, ecumenopolis. Thank yeah. you. That Mr. Alex Trebek. <laughs> Uh, we're also getting more mega structures, um, which again is something that we haven't really gotten a dev diary to flesh out. We, the interest, uh, a matter decompressor, a mega art installation. Now, if you have watched the streams that they are doing, the dev streams and whatnot, they have shown off what some of these are going to be capable of producing for you if you choose to build them. But again, I don't want to you know say too much of them because it's. At this point, with the 2.2 patch and including the DLC, it kind of seems like a lot of this, these statistics and stats are are subject to change. Uh, you'll also get a galactic slave market, which I think is really going to be interesting when they do a dev diary on that. Uh, buy and sell pops. I mean, that's an interesting way if you're going to be playing uh, a specific xenophobic type empire to instead of try to you know relocate or purge any of your pops that you might say you maybe have acquired. Well. Conquering a planet? Nope. You can sell them right out into the galactic slave market, which I think is awesome.
3: And then liberate and then, more of your own people.
2: There you go. See, it's a win-win situation, assuming that you're not the you know chosen population that's being, <laughs>
1: that's uh, being conquered. This is paradox. You're not liberating anybody. <laughs> you you they have the whole subcategory of chattel and you know things of that nature. Pleasure working slaves so yeah with with the new higher tiered you know um what what do they call them they have a class for that what do they call the like the highest tier citizens oh
2: in the the new strata you're talking about
1: yeah that's the what what is it it's um it's
2: not administrative uh yeah i don't know offhand
1: yeah so there's so that high strata they're not gonna be they're not gonna be rescuing anybody
2: no i doubt it and of course, it comes. It says keep your economy competitive with cutthroat in a cutthroat galaxy with additional ascension perks. So a lot of stuff here we haven't they haven't fleshed out yet. And when it comes to the main features that you're going to get with MegaCorp, I'm really excited. Um, all these sound pretty standard fare when it comes to the DLC. I think the one that's got me the most excited, and I don't know about you, Joshua, but is the unique way to play when it comes to the MegaCorp, which is introducing branch offices that you can actually establish on different. Uh, empires through a trade value or if you're playing a kind of godfather type you know cutthroat corporation you can actually you can actually uh (laughs) no worries a a civic you could choose is a criminal heritage where a megacorp embraces a curious blend of commercial and spirit oh that's not the one i'm looking at cure uh criminal heritage basically you generate crime on other planets and you don't need open borders or a trade value you essentially just set up shop and any other um and any other nation that you have established contact with, and it generates crime, and that more crime that it generates will generate more energy credits for you. So, all in all, a really interesting, and unique way to play the game, which is we haven't seen from Stellaris, which I'm excited about. But um, yeah, I'm 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 definitely digging it. So, what do you? What's your take on there, Josh? Do you think that? Uh, what's your take on on the DLC, uh, MegaCorp?
0: I'm so excited for MegaCorp. I think I think this is fantastic. Um, so just to be clear, um, everything we've talked about in previous WEXs uh, in the past two months have been uh, free LC. It's stuff that's coming with the Legin or the Legine, and I always mispronounce it when I'm on the the um, podcast, so I'm sorry. But it's every everything that we've talked about thus far has been for the Legin update, which if you have Stellaris, you're getting. So all the reworks for how planets work and the tile thing going away, all that stuff is for free. Megacorp. Um, is the paid DLC that is going to launch at the same time as Legit. So that's sort of the add-on stuff that, I mean, I've, I've, I've yet to find a paid one where I've said, oh, don't get it, just get the free stuff. But um, so I, I would recommend, I'm going to guess, well, you know, you, you should probably get both at the same time. But I just wanted to be clear about the nomenclature of how we're talking about both. So Megacorps, the thing that I'm, well, for one thing, narratively, I think it's really interesting I'm really excited for the idea of having sort of an economic-driven civilization in – or, you know, possibility of civilization in Stellaris. Um, You know, it always looked like there were the pieces to try to create that kind of idea. But because the game had so little economic gameplay in it, uh, it just never really made sense. It never really worked the way it felt like it ought to. So the ability to create these sort of, you know, megacorps is really cool. Like you said, I really love the idea that you can have different – Um, different sort of ethics and be different types of corporations but still count as a megacorp, which in a way, you know, hive minds and machine uh, saves don't necessarily have those kinds of freedoms that megacorps will. I love the fact that they're uh, a way of building tall. Last time, like we've talked about before, that Stellaris doesn't really let you build tall. They tried to create it with some of the mega um, buildings previously. The idea was that you you didn't need to go to so many different planets because you could build a ring world or things like that. But they happened so late in the game that by that time you were overspread already. It's not like you could really do that. Megacorps are going to actually let you build tall. You really can't expand. They haven't given us too much detail about how they're going to hem us in this way. But apparently what's going to happen is it's either going to get extremely expensive or something else is going to sort of keep you from being able to make the choice to expand too much. And so instead, what you're going to do is you're going to be able to create branch offices of your megacorp in different planets. And you're not limited in the planets you can create um, those buildings on. You get a treaty with another sieve and then you can put your uh, branch office there. So even if somebody else holds the planet, you just put your branch office on that planet and you sort of, you're gaining the benefits of being there. And they, if you look at uh, Dev Diary 131, they give you more detail about that. So I'm really excited about that idea. You can't, also you're not gonna be able to uh, vassalize but you can create subsidiaries. So if you conquer somebody, congrats, you're now part of the Acme Corporation. You're a subsidiary. You don't get any of the benefits, but you give us all your benefits. So that's I think that's really cool. It fits really narratively. It fits with those decisions. I also like the fact that, as you talked about, Mark, there's the idea of becoming a criminal corporation. And if you're a criminal megacorp, you're basically, it's almost like the, you know, the old Godfather games are existing within Stellaris. So you can create your own sort of uh, evil, evil corporation empire um, thing where you now you're not waiting for people to um, approve you're moving your moving uh, your branch office there. You can just drop them on the planet. And the more crime there is, the better you do. And so you're spreading crime throughout the galaxy. I think that's really cool. There is um, an option to be a religious megacorpse megacorp hopefully you're not a mega if you're playing right you won't be that religious megacorp where it's a mega church and then you're spreading your religion and so it works in a similar way but instead of being driven for profit you're you know sort of the televangelist civilization that's driven for God so I think the gameplay possibilities here are fantastic it's one of those things we've talked about this we actually the the um, The podcast that uh, Nate was talking about, The Strategic Expanse, we talk about it there. Again, the idea of my sort of philosophy of Keeps Stellaris Weird. This, to me, fits in exactly with that philosophy. There's other Civs and other games. I mean, I think of uh, Endless Space 2. I forget the name of them, but they're sort of a a crime family um, faction. But I just don't feel like there's been anything like this that lets you be a megacorp within this universe in a way that's very inventive and very smart, but very different and unique to it. And I am really super excited about this uh, this DLC. When I saw it pop up, I'd, every little bit I've read about it so far, I just get more
3: and more pumped for it. Yeah, Are you that's, the, that's the Lumeris from... Yeah, yeah, yeah thank, thank you. I was about
1: to ask, yep. Now, uh, by the way, um, one of the things you guys didn't mention when you were talking about the Crime Syndicate is you did you did mention but you didn't so with corporations like regular corporations now i don't know if this is also the case with the religion like the mega church one they didn't really talk about that specifically so i'm assuming that they're going to have dev diaries talking in more detail about each one but with the regular corporations you have to be on good relations with the other empire you cannot right. build a subsidiary there Unless you have good relations with them. So right. you have to have diplomatic relations. They have to approve your subsidiary. and but once it's, it's there. there,
0: it doesn't go away. Right. And but it's, actually, it's the important to the- say that it's not the subsidiary. It's the branch office. Right. Because subsidiary is not a word for vassal. But yes. they do. They ha- you have to have a treaty where they agree to put your branch office on their planet. Exactly. If- you are a regular megacorp.
1: Now, if you are a criminal enterprise, then you create the you create your branch offices. It's it's very. I don't know if it's more Godfather or Yakuza. I think it's more Yakuza or like the. Oh, triad. They're all the
0: same. They're all the no, same. No,
1: no, 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 no. They're <laughs> they're different. In in the Italian mob, like if you have, you don't have the various direct at least from the movies and you know what we know you didn't have the the the, the different families that are directly related to one another competing with one another oh, of course you know so. what i mean you had of course you go watch the movies again look like two brothers running the family, running a chapter or whatever you want to call it. Particular syndicate didn't compete with one another where they do, like they do with the triads and they do with the Yakuza, At least whatever. People Even go if to they the didn't. comments
0: and tell Nate he's wrong. Please, okay. please go to the comments and tell Nate he's wrong. Wow. you are gonna get a lot
3: of comments. <laughs> whether, whether, <laughs>
1: whether they do or don't, it it doesn't change what I'm gonna say. So. <clears throat> With the criminal syndicate, you do not need to have any kind of diplomacy. Like you don't have to be on good relations with them. You just have to know where their planets are. You open up a branch office, and the only way they can get your branch office off of their planet is by declaring war on you. Now, yeah, or, or they have. Well, have hold like on, hold on, easy hold easy on. Hold easy on. Easy. There's one more thing to that.
2: Yeah, he, he let, let Nate finish. He's got 62 okay. points here.
1: You're right, you're right. If, Go ahead. If they declare war and they lose, that's when they become your subsidiary. So that's when they become like your vassal of sorts. So well, you anybody
0: can that corp w- and go to war and and make someone your subsidiary, you don't have to be a criminal megacorp to make that happen.
1: No, I think this was specific. This was specific to the cr- to the criminal one.
0: It is not. So it is definitely not. Uh, I will okay. read. Subsidiaries are kind of subject available only to megacorps and replacing all of the normal forms of subject, vassal, tributary protectorate for them. Subsidiaries have common diplomatic independence, yada, 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 but are required to join the megacorp in their wars. So this is for all megacorps you can subsidiary.
1: Okay, well, we'll see. We'll see when the comments start rolling in. It's going to be one of those lots of comments shows. Oh, I hope not. One was enough. <laughs> well, well we're not saying anything bad, you know. We're not. Yeah, we're <laughs> just talking about criminality. That's all. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. That's, that's right. right. Like yeah. we're all experts here, some kind of yeah. Subject matter, so it just matter. To experts, be fair, that there are just-
0: special rules that go with the
1: criminal with the
0: criminal corporate buildings, right? You can drop, like you said, you don't need a diplomatic uh, agreement to drop them there. You can just put them wherever you want, and the the people that you do it to, they can try to suppress it
1: by having high, heavy use of law enforcement. Yeah, which has other side effects. So yes. as you increase the criminal... So like uh, some of the structures, some of the specialized structures you can build is like a chop shop, a spaceship chop shop. <laughs> Another one is there's just like a brothel and, you know, casino and, you know, like a money lender. This, they, they're really going to town on it. And you know what? I, I agree with you. I like it when they do weird stuff. Not, it's not weird, but I mean, I like it when they... They do stuff like this because... Having a brothel in a 4X game is pretty weird. No, no, I don't think so. I don't think it's weird. I think it's unique. Uh, Unique. Well, yeah, that makes it weird.
0: I mean, they're trying mechanics that other games aren't trying. Exactly. They're doing things that other games aren't doing. And that's when I like Stellaris at its best. Whenever I read something, it's like, oh, it's going to be kind of like Endless Space. It's like, no, let Endless Space be Endless Space. You be you. And so, whenever they do this, the, um, um, yeah, this is the kind of thing that I absolutely am I'm 100% behind, at least in concept.
1: Right. The, yeah, exactly. We have to see what the Exclude <laughs> knows.
2: Well, yeah, I, I think the biggest thing right now, in, and we've kind of talked about this in the previous podcast, but I'll reiterate, is that Stellaris gives the player tools in a sandbox environment. And these are great mechanics that don't necessarily add up to being like a, a balanced or strategic choices more than role-playing choices like i see a lot of these different options being ones that you're going to be personally tailoring to a specific gameplay uh that you want to um, play out in a simulation type of setting versus one that's incredibly competitive like i don't think that mega that might be one of the things i think there might be some backlash when it comes to megacorp because people are gonna play some of these um, these mega corporations and be like, oh my god, you know, like my administrative cap, which is what you guys are talking about when it comes to overexpanding with with your mega corporations, it's uh they've changed planet cap to uh administration cap. So if you stay underneath your administration cap, you don't get any malice towards your science or your unity. And that's the reason why they did that. Um when it comes to Megacorps. I don't think that they're going to be this all-powerful tall empire. I think that they're just going to have a lot of interesting choices that players are really going to enjoy. So that's probably what I was. uh, You know, that's one of the things that is most important to say is that temper your expectations, not to being able to min-max Megacorps to be this incredibly awesome megapower. No, no. Oh, megapower. That was another. That was another joke somewhere. Um, But this, you know, just realize that. Paradox is giving a whole bunch of fun tools to play with to really customize and flesh out your empires.
1: Yep, so we'll see. We'll have to see how it all kind of plays out. Anyways, moving on, let's talk a little bit about Age of Wonders Plant Falls. So uh, this past week, they gave us some gameplay footage sh- showing us the Kirko, which is the second major faction. So we've seen t- the Star Union, which is the human faction, Kirko, which are the uh, insect slash former high faction that were enslaved by the star union. So we got to see some gameplay. We got to see their units. I mean, we had seen it before, at least combat we've seen, but this time around, we got more of it. We saw some, uh, uh, some of the hero options. We got to see the tiles, the lander coming down, like expansion. They jumped around like from early to mid to late game. So we got to see a bunch of stuff and it's cool It's, okay, I take it back. It's not cool. It's very cool. My one thing is, like, compared to the majority of the units, to me, the heroes don't look as good. Like, they're boring. You know, they're bipeds, even though they're kind of humanoid. They're bipeds, they're not interesting whereas all the other units all the other things that they showed us were really cool so i don't know maybe it's just me and nobody else everybody else is like ah nate you know what you're talking about it's the most amazing thing ever or maybe somebody else will agree but like i want some different looking faction and i would assume that the insect faction would be that one but anyways there's going to be a link to the video and I- I can go into great detail, but I think it's it would be a lot more interesting if people watch it and give their own feedback. And by all means, if you disagree, let us know why and where we are wrong. And we are excited and we're looking forward to seeing what, what else they let us see. I think the next major reveal in the ne- is going to be sometime in November. And that's going to be, my guess, going to be Dvar, the Dvar faction, the Space Dwarves basically so you know I, i'm excited my i'm i'm very much still in the front car of the hype train Not, they haven't shown me anything that's made me take a less expensive seat and move back you know further i'm still you know trying to lead the charge in as uh as positive a way as possible without sounding like a fanboy though i think i'm failing so in it
0: yo Do you think that the heroes looked bland – and full disclosure, I have not seen the video yet. Do Mm -hmm. you think the heroes look bland because they haven't, like, put that layer in yet and so they were sort of just placeholders?
1: No, 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 no. The the layer is in there. All the customization is in there. It's just the heroes look bland because they're bipeds. They look like they're trying to be people. Okay. That's that's my issue. I get it. I understand like lore wise, it would make sense that they've been genetically engineered to be more friendly. But it's one of those things where unless they're like your house servants, you don't want them to look human. You want them to look as alien as possible, especially if they're used as shock troops or, you know, leaders on some slave colony or something like that, you know, so that but that's just my take on it. You know, I don't know. Okay. I'm sure we'll find out more. Thank you. Uh, No problem, no problem. So, all right, Troy, why don't you tell us about the update for Driftland, The Magic Revival?
3: Yeah, yeah. In fact, we're going to talk about a couple real-time games here. The first is Driftland. And this week, they added in avatars for the character you play. So, the the setup for Driftland is um, there were powerful magicians in the world a long time ago. And they got so powerful that they shattered the world. And in shattering the world, it made magic disappear. Well, magic is working its way back into the world. And you're playing one of those new magic users. And you're trying to bring the world back together. Literally uh, put the islands, the, the floating islands back together. And, you know, before that, you didn't really have a character. You just, you know, you were you playing. And so now they've added in avatars for your characters. I think there's... Like two perfection, uh, a male and a female for each of the factions, so mostly elves. Uh but I think there's a couple of dwarfs, which Nate calls cave elves, which I think is pretty astute. <laughs> Thank but you. Those are those are in. And uh in in addition, um diplomacy is getting a rework and it's going to be a process. So part of it's gonna be in with this patch and then more is gonna come in the future. And in addition they're uh, reworking the visuals for a lot of the spells. And I'm looking at one of them right here. So it looks pretty cool. It's like this massive uh, tornado vortex of magic thing. So they're working on making the game more visually appealing. And uh, yeah, I really want to encourage them in that. I think Driftland kind of a, a unique game, kind of pretty game. I like it. And then the other real-time game that we're going to talk about here real quick is uh, Northgard, which is the sort of Scandinavian viking real-time strategy game and they did an AMA for it and a lot of interesting things came out of it so a lot of people asked about will this clan get that or that clan get this and you know they're going to rework all the clans but some interesting tidbits other than that uh naval combat is probably not going to make it in the game which I find a little bit strange for a game based on Norsemen that you know, you wouldn't make boats a big part of it since boats were in every part of their culture. But, you know, they want to focus on the, on the ground combat and that kind of interaction. So none of that. Uh, interesting structure they might add is like a refuge where all your like normal people, your workers can run in times of attack and, and be safe rather than the monsters or enemy factions coming in and killing all your workers, which only respawn every so often. So that sounds like a really cool thing to add in. Um, also, uh, they're they're working on a new faction that's going to have the ability to befriend neutrals, which is pretty fantastic. So the idea is, I mean, from what I'm picking up from this, you'll increase your empire by adding neutral factions to it, and you'll get to add them, uh, their, their units and abilities, to your own, which is pretty sweet for Northgard. Uh, let's see what else, um, they're thinking about a map editor, but they can't make any promises on that. I love map editors. I love working on stuff like that. And also they're working on trying to get, uh, mods from the steam workshop going. Um, no ETA on that, but I bet a lot of people would be able to love, would love to be able to mod for North garden. So I think that'd be pretty sweet. So Mainly that. There's a bunch more. We'll try to link the um, the Ask Me Anything uh, recap in the show notes, and uh, if you're into Northgard, you'll be able to read it there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this is this is um, Northgard is like one of those possible crossover titles because it is a slower paced RTS, and we were going back and forth quite a bit trying to figure out if it was a. Like, if there are enough 4X elements for it to be considered a 4X game. So, it's definitely something we'll be keeping an eye on. All right, Uh, let's move on to Star Control Origins. So, this past week, uh, Stardock announced that there's going to be a free DLC. So, Joshua, why don't you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, so the DLC is out, uh, Um, 1.1. You know, just a little background. I've been playing uh, Star Control since before it launched which might make you wonder, well, where's the review then, jerk? Um, And the problem is that the game is just massive. So I am working my way through it, but there is a lot of game to see, and I want to make sure I'm doing it justice when I'm writing um, reviews and not just, you know, giving you my first five hours impression, but really spending some time with it. I think it deserves that amount of time. Anyway, um, so the 1.1 update is that the big deal is that they're adding some the modability tools, which were promised before the launch. Um, I'm not a big mod guy. I think this is an interesting thing for them to do uh, while Troy makes hard eyes at me and chat. Um, it, one of the things that I really like about Star Control is that I think the Star Control Origins is that I think it has the potential to um, – to, sorry, <laughs> one sec. I think it has the potential to be sort of a baseline story creator engine. Almost, and it's not never winter Nights, but I think there's the possibility for it to incorporate that kind of thinking. There's a lot of stuff going on in here with uh, the ability to do storytelling. And it, with mods, I think a lot of us think, oh, good, mods, I can put the Starship Enterprise in, in the game. It, I promise you someone's already done this. But it's going to allow you to create new quests. It's going to allow you to create unique ships. It's going to allow you to create uh, new star systems and whole storylines. And I think Star Control origins is really good for that i think there's a wonderful platform built in there and being able to have the mod tools to do those things i don't know I, you know to some extent um uh, nate what was the name of the the big time expansion uh not expansion but the sort of the big time mod for xcom was that long war what was it called
1: war of the Cho Tro- oh wait the long yeah long war
0: yeah yeah, the one that you sort of said, the original XCOM, not the original, original, but the Firaxis XCOM, um, that you said, like, it really changed the game for oh, you. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, And then when they released Long War 2 yeah. for XCOM 2, it also made a lot of changes. But then War of the Chosen dropped. Anyways, I'm getting off yeah. on that. So you, so you sort of said one. that,
0: like, the devs looked at it and were suddenly like, oh, this was actually the game that we wanted to make. I I think that there's the possibility for that within Star Control Origins, not to say that it needs it. I think there's a good story there already, but I think there's the opportunity with the mod tools that exist and with the base that you're being provided with the game to do that level of mod um, work with the tools you're being given in 1.1, where you could almost create your own star control, your own story, your own sort of universe, and take it to another level. I think it's that interesting. Beyond rambling about what modability means, they did add a bunch of other quality of life stuff to star control origins, uh, stuff that I noticed right away as soon as I um, booted up 1.1. Um, there's uh, mouse over info for all the planets now, so you don't have to visit every last one to see, to get a general idea of what's there. Um, obviously, you know if, if a planet is resource rich or not, you're going to have to park. But uh, if you, by the time if you've been playing for long enough, you kind of know which planets, what types of planets tend to have goodies and which planets tend not to. So this allows you to sort of quick scan uh, a solar system before instead of having to just go plotting place to place. You can flee between fleet battles. So for instance, if you're fighting against the enemy and the enemy has five ships, at the end of each battle with an individual ship, the game gives you the option to run away if you'd like. Obviously, anything you've any damage you've taken stays, and the ships, if you come back to fight them, will have all their damage healed, except for the ones you blew up. Um, but it gives you some good options for that. They've added some stuff that fix quests. The, there's quality of life stuff, like I said. Um, they've done some voice work improvement. There's some small uh, graphic improvement. They're doing a lot of work on this game. That's something that I think is really important to remember. When Star Control Origins came out, um, I think they were sort of feeling, oh, this is it. This is the final product. This is what they're giving us. And that's not the case. Stardock is clearly working really hard to make the game better. There have been massive improvements between what was launched and uh, what the game is now. I think a lot of the reviews on Steam are kind of out of date as far as what the game is like and how the gameplay works. And they're continuing to work on it they've teased that they have their first big dlc like real big coming soon um and i'm excited for it i I, the game as it was as it launched i was into the game as it is now as they've improved it i'm really into spoiler alert for the review but um this has been this is a really good update and i think it really adds a lot of nice stuff to the game
1: right and And, uh uh, one of the major things is that they had said in the beginning when they were explaining the lore and where origins fits with Star Control 1, 2, and 3, they said that it is a multiverse. So this addition of the the your ability to craft your own tale and then share it on Steam. So that's the other thing, is you can share it on the Steam Workshop. Is that you it's like a multiverse, you're getting to see what other people's stories are like and what they're crafting. So you know, that, that's cool. You're right. That is very cool. It adds a lot of replayability. There, there are some incredibly talented people out there, modders doing all kinds of stuff. So it would be very interesting to see what they end up doing with it. And with that, let's go ahead and talk about Phoenix Point. So this bit of information actually came out uh, before last week's show. But last week's show was so, so busy that we had to kind of push it to this week's show. So what they released was the the first showing of what the alien bases look like so what the pandora virus with that the, what their space is going to look like on the map they're showing it and it is it is amazing you have a lot of uh, like spines and skulls and this organic matter and on what appears to be a cave and you also have for size comparison to see what it would look like with a regular operator and they will need to climb it from level to level. So it's a multi-level base. It's not just going to be one level. It could be multi-level. Now, my question is, is, is your movement, can you do a full movement from, from the bottom to say something that might be four stories up or would you be stuck somewhere in the middle? And if you are, do you become an easy target or not? One second. So, um, yeah. Okay. Scrolling through, they're showing also what other pieces look like, and it's it's just it's really cool. That you know, as far as graphics go, this game is going to be very very unique, and I'm very hyped. If I wasn't hyped before and I was, I'm even more hyped now because so far we've only seen really what the human factions look like, more specifically like the Phoenix Point faction. And now we're getting to see the Pandora virus in more detail, the map, they're giving us thinking, they're explaining what the difference. So one of the things that you have here unlike, say, XCOM games, is in XCOM games, you're basically coming in with unlimited ammunition. So somehow you're coming into a mission and you're fully, like, stocked. Everything you need, other than stuff that's, like, specials, like rockets and things like that, or grenades. Here, you have limited ammunition, but on the map, you'll have supply crates. So if you run out of ammunition in the middle of a mission, you can try to get up to a supply crate and restock, but yet you don't know what's in there. Maybe there's something in there that you can't even use. Well, in... um, in this update they're showing what the pandora supply crates now i don't know if these supply crates are going to have equipment that your non-pandora units or there's one faction that's kind of like hybridized with them so maybe outside of them you know it'll be different and it's just it's it's awesome it is fantastic it is exciting and i i can't wait to see what the next build looks like and in case you didn't know we have a video for the kickstarter not kickstarter um what was the service they used, Mark? Do you remember?
2: I just downloaded it right from the directly from their website for the pre alpha build I did a video for our YouTube channel.
1: Right. So I, I don't remember which specific service they use, Indiegogo maybe or something like that, one of them, but their funding that they did, they, they're they going to have the third one coming and that's supposedly going to have more of this new stuff. And our second video that Mark did is is pretty good. It's There's some funny stuff happens in there. <laughs> I was just like when he did it, I'm like, oh, Mark. Come on. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, go take a look. It's cool. We'll have it linked in the comments. Um, Mark, what do you think? Are you excited with what you're seeing here?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's the Amadilla. It's the Amadilla issue. So if you haven't watched the video, you shouldn't and and wait wait for it. But uh, specifically when it comes to alien bases, I think that's what's got me most excited. Uh, One of my biggest criticisms about the newer XCOM Um, from Pharaxis has been that the bases are incredibly small when you fought an alien base, especially the end of XCOM 1. If you can remember when you had to fight the Ethereals, it was an incredibly small base. One thing that's got me excited, and it kind of goes towards Phoenix point, is it really looks like the alien bases are quite large, which has me excited. The multi-levels, which you had already talked about, which is awesome, Nate. Um, But I'm looking at a specific screenshot here, and it looks like there's... Two separate branches. Like you, it looks like as soon as you enter into the actual alien base, instead of being tunneled or funneled into like a specific kill zone, it looks like they're giving the players the freedom to you know move and match and to kind of you know explore the base a little bit. Very much like the old um, original XCOM. Because if you remember correctly, uh, the alien bases oftentimes you would have to approach them, the larger ones, from uh, two separate entrance points, and then try to get your two squads to reconverge and then you know to uh, create a single front but i think that if they do it this way kind of a homage to the older xcoms games when it comes to alien bases it's going to be more of a challenge and more exciting which i'm really excited for
1: right and the developer for this julian gollop is actually the one who made the original xcom games so this is sort of him making what he had learned and the feedback he had got for the original games and him proceeding and incorporating in into Phoenix Point. So I'm I'm keeping my fingers crossed. This next year I have three highly anticipated games. This is one of them. And the other two games or 4X games. This is the, the one non-4X games that I'm just like psyched for for next year. So, all right, let's move on to the next item. And this is the section where we talk about what is, and this week we're talking about a game called Scythe Digital Edition. So I'm going to give you a quick little rundown and then Joshua will jump in because he apparently owns this game. So he can tell us more about it. But basically this is an alternate history of, Earth, which is post World War One, not two, one, the Great War, and this and uh, the various factions developed your developed mechs, and as a result of the mechs being developed, the face of the war changed and the factions changed. So basically, you can be one of five factions: the Saxony Empire, the Crimean Khanate, the. Russ Viet Union, the Polania Republic, or the Nordic Kingdom. And the five of them are competing to see who ends up in control of Europa. And with that, Joshua, take it away. So
0: just to be clear, Joshua owns the Scythe Analog Edition. So yes. Scythe yes. is originally a board game. It was a Kickstarter board game about two years ago. Uh, I own the game. I've played the game several times. Um, Scythe is a beautiful game. Beautiful, beautiful game. The sculpts on the models, the little mechs that you get with the board game, uh, the little characters that are on it are beautiful. The artwork is gorgeous. It's based on legitimately good-looking art. Um, the game itself is okay. It's not bad, but I wouldn't describe it as like the apex of board game design. I, it's a little bloated. It's got some weirdness to it. But uh, this, it, I have to be very careful about this because there are people that absolutely love Scythe more than they love their own children. And they're going to hunt me down for saying it's just okay. Um, There are people who are extremely passionate about Scythe that think that it's fantastic and a great game. And obviously, they're putting money into it because they've since brought expansions for it. And so the Digital Edition is basically, I don't want to spend the $100, $120 that Scythe would cost, and it really does cost that much. um, But I want to play the game. I like the art. I like the aesthetic. So you can play it on your computer. That's Scythe Digital Edition. Um, It's not a 4X. At all. I know, it's um, it's
1: titled, they have a tag for Forex yeah. for it.
0: So yeah, if you're going in expecting a Forex, don't, you'll be disappointed. There's no exploration. Um, there's not really resource collection either. Um, the nature of the combat is very interesting. I think it's one of the more innovative aspects of the game, um, but it you're not it's not a board game 4X. There are better 4X, four four, there are real uh, 4X board games out there. This is not one of them. What it does really well is that it does sort of dudes on a map gameplay where you are expanding your empire, but there's story aspects to it that's a little bit like Endless Legend where you can come in and have different quests appear and you have a lot of choices that you can make to sort of drive stories in different ways. Um, so, my, so I have two concerns about it. One is that Scythe in and of itself is a good game. I don't think it's an amazing game. My other concern is that I think a lot of what makes Scythe great is the, the way that they incorporated these sort of elements into a board game existence. And I'm not sure how well it translates electronically. To be fair, I have not played um, uh, the electronic version. But the, a lot of the aspects and things that I like about the game, for instance, the little models, like I said, are fantastic. You know, on a, on a computer, obviously, you've got way better graphics than that, and you're not going to get the feel for the physical the physicality of it. Um, and a lot of the cleverness of the design as far as your ability to pick up cards and make choices and decisions, you know, there are other – in a game world – in a board game world, it's unique and interesting. In a video game world, it, it, it I think it's going to feel a little kludgy, but, mm. you know, um, I don't know that for sure. I, well, I think – Yeah. Uh, Let me just say one more thing. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. If I was going to say, if you're really interested in doing board games in an electronic universe, I would much sooner have you play Eclipse or even something like A Brief History of the World is another board game that's currently available electronically. And I would recommend those before I recommended Psycho. I'm sorry, Nate. Go ahead.
1: Oh, no, it's okay. Well, we're not recommending it. We're just talking about it. Right. But, you know, I'm about
0: my background of having played it,
1: and that's all. All right. 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 So we'll we'll check it out. We'll see what it's about. you know when when it's out, we'll we'll give it a gander.
0: yeah, if somebody so, played it electronically, I'd love to hear from them in the comments what they think.
1: exactly. And if somebody right.
0: played it as a board mm-hmm. game and loves it more than life itself, please don't call me on the comments.
1: <laughs> You're just a drama magnet, aren't you? I am. I'm dangerous. You are. You're the most dangerous man in Explominate. Joshua. <laughs> all right. Well, Let's talk about something else before we, so this past week, there was, um, a reveal and while watching one of the YouTube, um, creators that I watched, they were discussing that steam sale dates for the rest of the year have been revealed. So there is now I'm hoping that I'll find somewhere other than that video. If I don't, I will link that video, but if I find the article, some other article, I will link it. So you have a, like an official source hope or somewhat official, semi-official because steam is not going to admit to any of it. But anyways, their Halloween sale will begin on the 29th, October 29th and end on November 1st. So by the time you hear it, We will see if um, the sale is accurate. So that's the first one. Then the autumn sale or the fall sale is going to be from November 21st to November 27th. So assuming you, the um, Halloween sale is probably going to be themed around horror and fantasy and magic and stuff like that, and the autumn sale is going to be just the sale sale. And then if you still have any money left after that, then there's going to be the winter sale, which is going to be December 20th to January 3rd. So Valve is hell-bent on taking every last penny from us, and they're going to beat us on the head with sales until we submit. Now... I can be honest here and say that their seasonal sales in the last couple of years have not been very good. And if you're really looking for amazing deals, you get better deals on the publisher weekends, much better deals. So we'll have to see if this year if they change something or not. So that's that. Okay, moving on from that, let's talk about games we're playing. Troy, what are you playing? Uh, Well, this past week, World of Tanks Blitz was
3: doing its Halloween event. I think I mentioned that last week, and so I was grinding, 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 and I got two out of the three tanks that were available, and that's great and awesome. And now I'm burnt out, and I'll be putting World of Tanks Blitz down again because I've had enough. And uh, yeah, I did—that's what you said last week. Uh, no, 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 no. I said oh, I was okay. going to grind these tanks, and okay. I'm pretty happy with my performance. I did really well, and uh, I'll be picking up Space Tyrant once again and trying to beat the campaign. Once I beat the campaign, I'll probably write the review.
1: Okay. All right. What about you, Mark? What have you been playing? I
2: have been playing Shortest Trip to Earth, which I have a Let's Play on our YouTube channel right now. You should check it out if you're interested. It plays uh, very similar to Faster Than Light, mm-hmm. but instead of it being driven um, very much like Faster Than Light, has, is kind of driven in a way where you're constantly being pushed forward. Mm-hmm. Um, by the uh, the fleet that's chasing you in in this particular in the, in the actual story setting itself this one gives you much more open-ended uh experience where you can take your time travel explore uh through narrative pop-ups and choices different planets and etc mm-hmm. it's um not not it's in early access and you can clearly tell it's in early access i would suggest that if you're a faster than light fan at the very least maybe take a look at the videos and maybe put it on your wish list, and maybe just to keep you know uh, apprised to some of the changes that are coming. I don't know if I'd necessarily recommend it because Faster Than Light was such uh, an iconic and awesome smash hit. So when you compare the two in, uh, directly right now, Faster Than Light versus this early access, it doesn't really compare. But It's, uh,
1: well, early access, you kind of have to give a, you have to give it a chance to be fully released and then you can start comparing it. At least that's how I would do it.
2: Absolutely. And I'm not the biggest fan. I got burnt by world of Magic when I was in early access there. So I don't really play a lot of early access, but this one seems like it's shaping up. It, it seems like it has that it's on a precipice right now where it could be an exceptional game or it can really just tank. And it's hard to judge right now, considering they're on patch 0. 0.4, which makes me think that it's barely beta. If you really think about it, cause they're probably looking to get the, all the way to patch 1.0, at least two more years. I'm hoping two more years cause it's not a bad game, but it could be a great game. And then, mm-hmm. um, Besides that, I actually, today, this morning, I jumped back onto Factorio and I fired off uh, my old save game. And um, it's just such an awesome game uh, that if you're into any type of base building, could be one of those ones that you look down and think, well, I'm going to play for an hour and see where I'm at. I
1: I know what you're talking about. What about you, Joshua? What have you been playing? Um, As I said before, I've been playing Star Control Origins.
0: Mm -hmm. um i had a really good weekend with star control origins i got to meet jeff for those of you who play the game you know what that means um not to be confused with star control oranges which is a game of citric domination don't get them confused (laughs) um but i'm playing star control origins for the review um, uh, it, boy, I wish I could tell you when that review was coming. There's a lot of content here that I feel like I want to talk about with the game. So um, slowly but surely, for those of you who are uh, waiting, our, uh, we don't really review these sorts of games. We give excursions, right? So when you're waiting for the excursions, I'm sorry. It's all my fault, I know. Uh, but I am trying to get through it so that um, you can hear about it. Uh, the other thing everybody who listens to this and hears me knows that I'm a bit of a Nintendo guy. So I got Mario Party last weekend. Mm-hmm. Mario Party is a lot of fun. Super Mario Party actually is what it is for the <laughs> Switch. It's a lot of fun. Um, really enjoyed playing it with my kid. Uh, it's, it's it's a good game. It's it's tight design. It's not the greatest world's greatest board game design, um, but it it is fun to play and the mini games are fun. And so I've i really enjoyed it. And then I continue my uh, I'm continuing my Hearthstone addiction uh, as always. But uh, yeah, so mostly Star Control, a little bit of Mario Party, and then uh, the, the usual stuff. What about you, Nate? What have you been playing? I know what you've been playing.
1: Why don't you tell me? Yeah, you know what I've been playing. So, um, this past week, until Thursday night, when the game, I'll tell you in a second what it is, I haven't had a chance to play anything. It was just a crazy, crazy week for me. Like, from last weekend until Thursday night, it was crazy. Then everything started, like, by Thursday afternoon, everything starting to wrap up. I was getting ready. And then I went and I picked up Red Dead Redemption 2. Now, in comparison... Out of every game that I own right now that's on any platform, there are only two games that I could play while I'm not playing Red Dead Redemption 2. One of them, obviously, for those that know me, would understand that it is XCOM, War of the Chosen, with this new Legacy Pack, but I haven't played it, but I could. And the other one is Mario Rabbids Kingdom Battle on my Switch, because it is so... it's fun, and it's something you can play while you're commuting if you're not driving... But I haven't played that either. I just have not had the time. And yes, I've just been playing Red Dead Redemption 2. So, I, I mean, I warned you guys. I'm glad that I hadn't completely fallen off the radar. But I sort of did. And it is, I don't know if it's a game or just an experience. It is is—it is like, it is beyond the game. It is transcendent. But I'm a fan. So maybe I'm just, you know, I'm just kind of nuts for that. Having said all of that, I'm going to go ahead and uh, issue a quick apology that my Aggressors review right now is on a slight hiatus because my spare time is being spent playing Red Dead Redemption 2. And I've been waiting for this game for eight and a half years since I first played Red Dead Redemption. I knew that the sequel, whenever it comes, I'm going to play it. So, yeah, I'm I'm going to knock out Aggressors in November, but I think for the next week, uh, anybody looking to see if I'm playing any PC games is not going to be surprised to see that I'm not. And that's it. And with that, uh, a big thank you to our Patreon supporters. You all rock. We really appreciate you. Thank you very much. Uh, Keep an eye out. Mark's been putting up videos. Dallin and Ben, they're continuing to to stream on Twitch and uploading their stuff. And we're checking out. We got a couple of writers that we're checking out right now. So I don't want to say anything about just i don't want to put pressure on anybody any of the guys that are trying out so take your time guys i know you guys listen we we understand and um yeah if you want to write for us if you're feeling like yeah i want to try it you know i'm a good writer i got what it takes we're always looking for people because this is a thankless job but there's no crunch but a thankless job and uh, you know everybody needs something and we hook you guys up in different ways and i think that's it with that i want to thank joshua thanks for joining us my pleasure same same goes for you Mark. Pleasure having you on.
2: The pleasure is all yours
1: Nate. <laughs> Cute. And uh Troy, as usual, you can go ahead and wrap it up. All right. Well, we really enjoyed having everyone with
3: us on our podcast this week. We hope you're all doing well. This has been Troy, Mark, Josh and Nate for Explorminate. Take care everyone. See ya.